Section twenty of the Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume Ten. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume Ten, by Anonymous, translated by Richard Francis Burton the matter of the nights part two i will take from the nights as a specimen of the true persian romance the queen of the serpents volume five two hundred ninety eight the subject of lane's carlylian denunciation the first gorgeous picture is the session of the snakes which like their indian congeners the naga kings and queens have human heads and reptile bodies an egyptian myth that engendered the old serpent of genesis the sultana welcomes hasib karim al-din the hapless lad who had been left in a cavern to die by the greedy woodcutters and in order to tell him her tale introduces the adventures of bulukia the latter is an israelite converted by editor and scribe to mohammedanism but we can detect under his assumed faith the older creed solomon is not buried by authentic history beyond the seven mystic seas but at jerusalem or tiberias and his seal-ring suggests the jamijan the crystal cup of the great king jamshid the descent of the archangel gabriel so familiar to al islam is the manifestation of baman the first intelligence the mightiest of the angels who enabled zarathustra zoroaster to walk like bulukia over the dalati or caspian sea amongst the sights shown to bulukia as he traverses the seven oceans is a battle royale between the believing and the unbelieving jinns true magian dualism the eternal duello of the two roots or antagonistic principles good and evil hormuzd and ariman which milton has debased into a commonplace modern combat fought also with cannon sakr the jinni is eshem chief of the deeds and kaf the encircling mountain is a later edition of persian al so in the mantak al colloquy of the flyers the birds emblems of souls seeking the presence of the gigantic feathered biped simurg their god traverse seven seas according to others seven vadis of search of love of knowledge of competence of unity of stupefaction and of altruism that is annihilation of self the several stages of contemplative life at last standing upon the mysterious island of the simurg and casting a clandestine glance at him they saw thirty birds in him and when they turned their eyes to themselves the thirty birds seemed one simurg they saw in themselves the entire simurg they saw in the simurg the thirty birds entirely therefore they arrived at the solution of the problem we and thou that is the identity of god and man they were forever annihilated in the simurg and the shade vanished in the sun Ibid three two hundred and fifty the wild ideas concerning khalid and malid volume five three hundred nineteen 
are again guebre from the seed of caillomas the androgyn like pre-adamite man sprang a tree shaped like two human beings and thence proceeded meschia and meschiana first man and woman progenitors of mankind who though created for chidistan light land were seduced by ariman this two-man tree is evidently the duality of physis and antiphysis nature and her counterpart the battle between mir izat or mita with his surus and feriste seraphs and angels against the divs who are the children of time led by the archdemon eshem thus when hormuzd created the planets the dog and all useful animals and plants Araman produced the comets the wolf noxious beasts and poisonous growths the hindus represent the same metaphysical idea by brahma the creator and vishva karma the anti-creator miscalled by europeans vulcan the former fashions a horse and a bull and the latter caricatures them with an ass and a buffalo evolution turned topsy-turvy after seeing nine angels and obtaining an explanation of the seven stages of earth which is supported by the gavi zamin the energy symbolized by a bull implanted by the creator in the mundane sphere bulukia meets the four archangels to wit gabriel who is the persian rabban baksh or life-giver michael or beshter raphael or israfil alias Ardibihisht and azazel or azrael who is duma or mordat the death-giver and the four are about to attack the dragon that is the demons hostile to mankind who are driven behind albos kaf by tamaras the ancient persian king bulukia then recites an episode within an episode the story of janshah itself a persian name and accompanied by two others volume five three hundred twenty nine the mise-en-scene being kabul and the king of khorasan appearing in the prone janshah the young prince no sooner comes to man's estate than he loses himself out hunting and falls in with cannibals whose bodies divide longitudinally each moiety going its own way these are the sheik split ones which the arabs borrowed from the persian nimshira or half-faces they escape to the ape island whose denizens are human in intelligence and speak articulately as the universal east believes they can these simiads are at chronic war with the ants alluding to some obscure myth which gave rise to the gold-diggers of herodotus and other classics emmets in size somewhat less than dogs but bigger than foxes the episode then falls into the banalities of oriental folklore janshah passing the sebation river and reaching the jews city is persuaded to be sewn up in a skin and is carried in the normal way to the top of the mountain of gems where he makes acquaintance with shaikh nazar lord of the birds he enters the usual forbidden room falls in love with the patterned swan-maiden wins her by the popular process loses her and recovers her through the monk yagmus whose name like that of king tegmus is a burlesque of the greek 
and finally when she is killed by a shark determines to mourn her loss till the end of his days having heard this story bolukia quits him and resolving to regain his natal land falls in with kizer and the green prophet who was vizier to Kobad, sixth century b c and was connected with macedonian alexander enables him to win his wish the rest of the tale calls for no comment thirdly and lastly we have the histories historical stories and the anna of great men in which easterns as well as westerns delight the gravest writers do not disdain to relieve the dullness of chronicles and annals by means of such discussions humorous or pathetic moral or grossly indecent the dates must greatly vary some of the anecdotes relating to the early caliphs appear almost contemporary others like ali of cairo and abu al shamat may be as late as the ottoman conquest of egypt sixteenth century all are distinctly sunnite and show fierce animus against the shia heretics suggesting that they were written after the destruction of the fatimite dynasty twelfth century by salah al-din saladin the kurd one of the latest historical personages and the last king named in the knights these anecdotes are so often connected with what a learned frenchman terms the reine féerique de Aoun er that the great caliph becomes the hero of this portion of the knights aaron the orthodox was the central figure of the most splendid empire the world had seen the vice-regent of allah combining the powers of caesar and pope and wielding them right worthily according to the general voice of historians to quote a few ali bin talib al khorasani described him in a d nine hundred thirty four a century and a half after his death when flattery would be tongue-tied as one devoted to war and pilgrimage whose bounty embraced the folk at large saadi died a d twelve hundred ninety one tells a tale highly favourable to him in the gulistan lib one thirty six fakr al-din fourteenth century lauds his merits eloquence science and generosity and al siuti born a d fourteen forty five asserts he was one of the most distinguished of caliphs and the most illustrious of the princes of the earth page two hundred ninety the shaykh al nafsabi sixteenth century in his rose al atir finaza al katil his scented garden site for heart delight calls harun chapter seven the master of munificence and bounty the best of the generous and even the latest writers have not ceased to praise him says ali aziz effendi the cretan in the story of jivad harun was the most bounteous illustrious and upright of the abbasside caliphs the fifth abbasside was fair and handsome of noble and majestic presence a sportsman and an athlete who delighted in polo and archery he showed sound sense and true wisdom in his speech to the grammarian poet al-azmai who had undertaken to teach him ne m'enseignez jamais en public et ne vous empressez pas trop de me donner les avis en particulier attendez ordinairement 
que je vous interroge et contentez-vous de me donner une réponse précise à ce que je vous demanderai sans y rien ajouter de superflu gardez-vous surtout de vouloir me préoccuper pour vous attirer ma créance et pour vous donner l'autorité ne vous étendez jamais trop en long sur la histoire et la tradition que vous me raconterez si je ne vous en donne la permission lorsque vous verrez que je m'éloignerai de l'équité dans mes jugements ramenez-moi avec douceur sans user de paroles fâcheuses ni de réprimandes enseignez-moi principalement les choses qui sont le plus nécessaires pour le discours que je dois faire en public dans les mosquées et ailleurs et ne parlez point en termes obscurs ou mystérieux ni avec des paroles trop recherchées he became well read in science and letters especially history and tradition for his understanding was as the understanding of the learned and like all educated arabs of his day he was a connoisseur of poetry which at times he improvised with success he made the pilgrimage every alternate year and sometimes on foot while his military expeditions almost equalled his pilgrimages day after day during his caliphate he prayed a hundred bows never neglecting them save for some especial reason till his death and he used to give from his privy purse alms to the extent of a hundred dirhams per diem he delighted in panegiri and liberally rewarded its experts one of whom abd al-samak the preacher fairly said of him thy humility in thy greatness is nobler than thy greatness no caliph says al niftavaj had been so profusely liberal to poets lawyers and divans although as the years advanced he wept over his extravagance amongst other sins there was vigorous manliness in his answer to the grecian emperor who had sent him an insulting missive in the name of allah from the commander of the faithful harun al-rashid to nisiphorus the roman dog i have read thy writ o son of a miscreant mother thou shalt not hear thou shalt see my reply nor did he cease to make the byzantine feel the weight of his arm till he knocked his camel in the imperial courtyard and this was only one instance of his indomitable energy and hatred of the infidel yet if the west is to be believed he forgot his fanaticism in his diplomatic dealings and courteous intercourse with carolus magnus finally his civilized and well-regulated rule contrasted as strongly with the barbarity and turbulence of occidental christendom as the splendid court and the luxurious life of baghdad and its carpets and hangings devanced the quasi-savagery of london and paris whose palatial halls were spread with rushes the great caliph ruled twenty-three years and a few months a h one hundred seventy to one hundred ninety three is a d seven hundred eighty six to eight hundred and eight and as his youth was chequered and his reign was glorious so was his end obscure after a vision foreshadowing his death which happened as becomes a good muslim during a military expedition to khorasan he ordered his grave to be dug and himself to be carried to it in a covered litter 
when sighting the fosse he exclaimed o son of man thou art come to this then he commanded himself to be set down and the perfection of the koran to be made over him in the litter on the edge of the grave he was buried age forty-five at sanabad a village near tus aaron the orthodox appears in the nights as a headstrong and violent autocrat a right royal figure according to the muslim ideas of his day but his career shows that he was not more tyrannical or more sanguinary than the normal despot of the east or the contemporary kings of the west in most points indeed he was far superior to the historic misrulers who have afflicted the world from spain to furthest china but a single great crime a tragedy whose details are almost incredibly horrible marks his reign with a stain of infamy with a blot of blood never to be washed away this tale full of the waters of the eye as ferdowsi sings is the massacre of the barmecides a story which has often been told and which cannot here be passed over in silence the ancient and noble iranian house belonging to the abna or arabized persians had long served the omeyyads till early in our eighth century khalid bin barmek the chief entered the service of the first abbasside and became wazir and intendant of finance to al safa the most remarkable and distinguished of the family he was in office when al-mansur transferred the capital from damascus the headquarters of the hated omeyyads to baghdad built ad hoc after securing the highest character in history by his personal gifts and public services he was succeeded by his son and heir yahya john a statesman famed from early youth for prudence and profound intelligence liberality and nobility of soul he was charged by the caliph al-madi with the education of his son harun hence the latter was accustomed to call him father and until the assassination of the fantastic tyrant al-hadi who proposed to make his own child caliph he had no little difficulty in preserving the youth from death in prison the orthodox once seated firmly on the throne appointed yahya his grand vizier this great administrator had four sons al-fazl jafar mohammed and musa in whose time the house of bermek rose to that height from which decline and fall are in the east well-nigh certain and immediate al-fazl was a foster-brother of harun an exchange of suckling infants having taken place between the two mothers for the usual object a tightening of the ties of intimacy he was a man of exceptional mind but he lacked the charm of temper and manner which characterized jaafar the poets and rhetoricians have been profuse in their praises of the cadet who appears in the nights as an adviser of calm sound sense an intercessor and a peacemaker and even more remarkable than the rest of his family for an almost incredible magnanimity and generosity une générosité effrayante mohammed was famed for exalted views and nobility of sentiment and musa for bravery and energy of both it was justly said they did good and harmed not for ten years not including an interval of seven from the time of al-rashid's accession a d seven hundred eighty six 
to the date of their fall a d eight hundred and three yahya and his sons al-fazl and jaafar were virtually rulers of the great heterogeneous empire which extended from mauritania to tartary and they did notable service in arresting its disruption their downfall came sudden and terrible like a thunderbolt from the blue as the caliph and jaafar were halting in al-umr the convent near ambar town on the euphrates after a convivial evening spent in different pavilions Haroun, during the dead of night called up his page yasir al-rikla and bade him bring jaafar's hand the messenger found jaafar still carousing with the blind poet abu zakar and the christian physician gabriel ibn baktiashu and was persuaded to return to the caliph and report his death the wazir adding and he expressed regret i shall owe thee my life and if not what so allah will be done jaafar followed to listen and heard only the caliph exclaim o sucker of thy mother's clitoris if thou answer me another word i will send thee before him whereupon he at once bandaged his own eyes and received the fatal blow al-asma'i who was summoned to the presence shortly after recounts that when the head was brought to her room he gazed at it and summoning two witnesses commanded them to decapitate yasir crying i cannot bear to look upon the slayer of jaafar his vengeance did not cease with the death he ordered the head to be gibbeted at one end and the trunk at the other abutment of the tigris bridge where the corpses of the vilest malefactors used to be exposed and some months afterward he insulted the remains by having them burned the last and worst indignity which can be offered to a muslim there are indeed pity and terror in the difference between two such items in the treasury accounts as these four hundred thousand dinars two hundred thousand pounds to a robe of honour for the wazir jaafar bin yahya and ten kirat five shillings to napta and reeds for burning the body of jaafar the barmecide meanwhile yahya and al-fazl seized by the caliph haroun's command at baghdad were significantly cast into the prison habs al-zanadika of the guebras and their immense wealth which some opine hastened their downfall was confiscated according to the historian al-tabari who however is not supported by all the analysts the whole barmecide family men women and children numbering over a thousand were slaughtered with only three exceptions yahya his brother mohammed and his son al-fazl the caliph's foster-father who lived to the age of seventy-four was allowed to die in jail a h eight hundred five after two years imprisonment at ruka al-fazl after having been tortured with two hundred blows in order to make him produce concealed property survived his father three years and died in november a h eight hundred eight some four months before his terrible foster-brother a pathetic tale is told of the sun warming water for the old man's use by pressing the copper ewer to his stomach the motives of this terrible massacre are variously recounted 
but no sufficient explanation has yet been or possibly ever will be given the popular idea is embodied in the knights haroun wishing jaafar to be his companion even in the harem had wedded him pro forma to his eldest sister abassa the loveliest woman of her day and brilliant in mind as in body but he has expressly said i will marry thee to her that it may be lawful for thee to look upon her but thou shalt not touch her jaafar bound himself by a solemn oath but his mother ataba was mad enough to deceive him in his cups and the result was a boy ibn Kalikan, or according to others twins the issue was sent under the charge of a confidential eunuch and a slave-girl to mecca for concealment but the secret was divulged to zubaida who had her own reasons for hating husband and wife and cherished an especial grievance against yahya thence it soon found its way to headquarters haroun's treatment of abassa supports the general conviction according to the most credible accounts she and her child were buried alive in a pit under the floor of her apartment but possibly jaafar's perjury was only the last straw already al-fazl bin rabia the deadliest enemy of the barmecides had been entrusted a d seven hundred eighty six with the wazirat which he kept seven years jaafar had also acted generously but imprudently in abetting the escape of yahya bin abdillah sayyid and alide for whom the caliph had commanded confinement in a close dark dungeon when charged with disobedience the wazir had made full confession and haroun had they say exclaimed thou hast done well but was heard to mutter allah slay me and i slay thee not the great house seems at times to have abused its powers by being too peremptory with haroun and zubaida especially in money matters and its very greatness would have created for it many and powerful enemies and detractors who plied the caliph with anonymous verse and prose nor was it forgotten that before the spread of al-islam they had presided over the nabihar or parathium of balkh and haroun is said to have remarked anand yahya the zeal for magianism rooted in his heart induces him to save all the monuments connected with his faith hence the charge that they were sanadaka a term properly applied to those who study the zen scripture but popularly meaning mundanists positivists reprobates atheists and it may be noted that immediately after al-rashid's death violent religious troubles broke out in baghdad ibn Kalikan quotes sayyid ibn salim a well-known grammarian and traditionist who philosophically remarked of a truth the barmecides did nothing to deserve al-rashid's severity but the day of their power and prosperity had been long and whatso endureth long waxeth longsome fakr al-din says page twenty seven on attribue encore leur ruine aux manières fières et orgueilleuses de javar jaafar et de fadel al-fazl manière que le roi ne saurait supporter according to ibn badrun the poet when the caliph's sister olaya asked him o oh my lord i have not seen thee enjoy one happy day since putting jaafar to death wherefore didst thou slay him 
he answered my dear life and i thought that my shirt knew the reason i would rend it in pieces i therefore hold with al masudi as regards the intimate cause of the catastrophe it is unknown and allah is omniscient aaron the orthodox appears sincerely to have repented his enormous crime from that date he never enjoyed refreshing sleep he would have given his whole realm to recall jafar to life and if any spoke slightingly of the barmecides in his presence he would exclaim god damn your fathers cease to blame them or fill the void they have left and he had ample reason to mourn the loss after the extermination of the wise and enlightened family the affairs of the caliphate never prospered fazl bin rabia though a man of intelligence and devoted to letters proved a poor substitute for yahya and jaafar and the caliph is reported to have applied to him the couplet no sire to your sire i bid you spare your calumnies or their place replace his unwise elevation of his two rival sons filled him with fear of poison and lastly the violence and recklessness of the popular mourning for the barmecides whose echo has not yet died away must have added poignancy to his tardy penitence the crime still sticks fiery off from the rest of haroun's career it stands out in ghastly prominence as one of the most terrible tragedies recorded by history and its horrible details make men write passionately on the subject to this our day as of haroun so of zubaydah it may be said that she was far superior in most things to contemporary royalties and she was not worse at her worst than the normal despot queen of the morning land we must not take seriously the tales of her jealousy in the nights which mostly end in her selling off or burying alive her rivals but even were all true she acted after the recognized fashion of her exalted sisterhood the secret history of cairo during the last generation tells of many a viceregal dame who had committed all the crimes without any of the virtues which characterized haroun's cousin's spouse and the difference between the manners of the caliphate and the respectability of the nineteenth century may be measured by the tale called al mamun and zubaida the lady having won a game of forfeits from her husband and being vexed with him for imposing unseemly conditions when he had been the winner condemned him to lie with the foulest and filthiest kitchen wench in the palace and thus was begotten the caliph who succeeded and destroyed her son zubaida was the granddaughter of the second abbaside al-mansur by his son jaafar whom the knights persistently term al-kasim her name was amat al-aziz or handmaid of the almighty her cognomen was um jaafar as her husband's was abu jaafar and her popular name creamkin derives from zubda cream or fresh butter on account of her plumpness and freshness she was as majestic and munificent as her husband and the hum of prayer was never hushed in her palace al masudi makes a historian say to the dangerous caliph al kahir the nobleness and generosity of this princess in serious matters as in her diversions place her in the highest rank and he proceeds to give ample proof 
Alciuti relates how she once filled a poet's mouth with jewels which she sold for twenty thousand pinars. Ibn Kalikan, one five hundred twenty-three, affirms of her, her charity was ample, her conduct virtuous, and the history of her pilgrimage to Mecca and of what she undertook to execute on the way is so well known that it were useless to repeat it. I have noted, pilgrimage three two how the darb al-sharqi or eastern roads from mecca to al-medina was due to the piety of zubayda who dug wells from baghdad to the prophet's burial place and built not only cisterns and caravanserais but even a wall to direct pilgrims over the shifting sands she also supplied mecca which suffered severely from want of water with the chief requisite for public hygiene by connecting it through levelled hills and hewn rocks with the Ain al mushash in the Arafat sub-range, and a fine aqueduct some ten miles long was erected at a cost of one point seven to two million of gold pieces. We cannot wonder that her name is still famous among the Badawin and the sons of the holy cities. She died at Baghdad after a protracted widowhood in A. H. two hundred sixteen and her tomb which still exists was long visited by the friends and dependents who mourned the loss of a devout and most liberal woman end of section twenty recording by phone